One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If, after a great struggle, the East were to prevail over the world, what sort of civilization would be imposed by the victors? Would it be an oriental version of the societies we know? Or might the great old culture be superimposed upon what was left of Western technology? The Turning Wheel by Philip K. Dick. That's next on the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast with at least one lost vintage sci-fi short story in every episode. Author Philip K. Dick needs no introduction. From the second issue of Science Fiction Stories magazine in 1954, turn to page 69 for The Turning Wheel by Philip K. Dick. Bard Chai said thoughtfully, Cults. He examined a tape report grinding from the receptor. The receptor was rusty and unoiled. It whined piercingly and sent up an acrid wisp of smoke. Chai shuddered off as its pitted surface began to heat ugly red. Presently, he finished with the tape and tossed it with a heap of refuse jamming the mouth of a disposal slot. What about cults? Bard Sungwoo asked faintly. He brought himself back with an effort and forced a smile of interest on his plump olive-yellow face. You were saying? Many stable society is menaced by cults. Our society is no exception. Chai rubbed his finely tapered fingers together reflectively. Certain lower strata are axiomatically dissatisfied. Their hearts burn with envy of those the wheel is placed above them. In secret, they form fanatic, rebellious bands they meet in the dark of the night. They insidiously express inversions of accepted norms. They delight in flaunting basic mores and customs. Ah, Sung Wu agreed. I mean, he explained quickly, it seems incredible people could practice such fanatic and disgusting rites. He got nervously to his feet 
I must go if it's permitted. Wait, snapped Chai. You are familiar with the Detroit area? Uneasily, Sung Woo nodded. Very slightly. With characteristic vigor, Chai made his decision. I'm sending you. Investigate and make a blue slip report. If this group is dangerous, the Holy Arm should know. It's one of the worst elements, the techno class. He made a wry face. Caucasians. Hulking, hairy things. We'll give you six months in Spain on your return. You can poke over ruins of abandoned cities. Caucasians, Sung Woo exclaimed, his face turning green. But I haven't been well. Please, if somebody else could go. You perhaps hold to the broken feather theory? Chai raised an eyebrow. An amazing philologist, broken feather. I took partial instruction from him. He held, you know, the Caucasian to be descended of Neanderthal stock. The extreme size, thick body hair, their general brutish cast reveal an innate ability to comprehend anything but a purely animalistic horizontal. Proselytism is a waste of time. He affixed the younger man with a stern eye. I wouldn't send you if I didn't have unusual faith in your devotion. Sung Woo fingered his beads miserably. Elrond be praised, he muttered. You are too kind. Sung Woo slid into a lift and was raised, amid great groans and whirrings and false stops, to the top level of the central chamber building. He hurried down a corridor, dimly lit by occasional yellow bulbs. A moment later, he approached the doors of the scanning offices and flashed his identification at the robot guard. Is Bard Fape hang within? he inquired. Verily, the robot answered, stepping aside. Sung Woo entered the offices, bypassed the rows of rusted, discarded machines, and entered the still-functioning wing. He located his brother-in-law, hunched over some graphs at one of the desks, laboriously copying material by hand. Clearness be with you, Sung Woo murmured. Fei Pang glanced up in annoyance. I told you not to come again. If the arm finds out I'm letting you use the scanner for a personal plot, they'll stretch me on the rack. Gently, Sung Woo murmured, his hand on his relation's shoulder. This is the last time. I'm going away. One more look, a final look. His olive face took on a pleading, piteous cast. The turn comes for me very soon. This will be our last conversation. Sung Woo's piteous look hardened into cunning. You wouldn't want it on your soul. No restitution will be possible at this late date. Fei Pang snorted. All right, but for Elrond's sake, do it quickly. Sung Woo hurried to the mother scanner and seated himself in the rickety basket. He snapped on the controls, clamped his forehead to the viewpiece, inserted his identity tab, and set the space-time finger into motion. Slowly, reluctantly, the ancient mechanism coughed into life and began tracing his personal tab along the future track. Sung Woo's hand shook, his body trembled, Sweat dripped from his neck as he saw himself scampering in miniature. Poor Sung Woo, he thought wretchedly. The might of a thing hurried about its duties. This was but eight months hence, 
harried and beset, it performed its tasks, and then, in a subsequent continuum, fell down and died. Sung Wu removed his eyes from the viewpiece and waited for his pulse to slow. He could stand that part, watching the moment of death. It was what came next that was too jangling for him. He breathed a silent prayer. Had he fasted enough? In the four-day purge and self-flagellation, he had used the whip with metal points, the heaviest possible. He had given away all his money. He had smashed a lovely vase his mother had left him, a treasured heirloom. He had rolled in the filth and mud in the center of town. Hundreds had seen him. Now, surely, all this was enough. But time was so short. Faint courage stirring, he sat up and again put his eyes to the viewpiece. He was shaking with terror. What if it hadn't changed? What if his mortification weren't enough? He spun the controls, sending the finger tracing his time track past the moment of death. Sung Wu shrieked and scrambled back in horror. His future was the same, exactly the same. There had been no change at all. His guilt had been too great to be washed away in such short a time. It would take ages, and he didn't have ages. He left the scanner and passed by his brother-in-law. Thanks, he muttered shakily. For once, a measure of compassion touched Fei Pang's efficient brown features. Bad news? The next turn brings an unfortunate manifestation? Bad scarcely describes it. Fei Pang's pity turned to righteous rebuke. Who do you have to blame but yourself? He demanded sternly. You know your conduct in this manifestation determines the next. If you look forward to a future life as a lower animal, it should make you glance over your behavior and repent your wrongs. The cosmic law that governs us is impartial. It is true justice, cause and effect. What you do determines what you next become. There can be no blame and no sorrow. There can be only understanding and repentance. His curiosity overcame him. What is it? A snake? A squirrel? It's no affair of yours, Sung Wu said, as he moved unhappily toward the exit doors. I'll look myself. Go ahead. Sung Wu pushed moodily out into the hall. He was dazed with despair. It hadn't changed. It was still the same. In eight months, he would die, stricken by one of the numerous plagues that swept over the inhabited parts of the world. He would become feverish, break out with red spots, turn and twist in an anguish of delirium. His bowels would drop out. His flesh would waste away. His eyes would roll up, and after an interminable time of suffering, he would die. His body would lie in a mass heap with hundreds of others, a whole street full of dead to be carted away by one of the robot sweepers, happily immune. His mortal remains would be burned in a common rubbish incinerator at the outskirts of the city. Meanwhile, the eternal spark, Sung Wu's divine soul, would hurry from this space-time manifestation to the next in order. But it would not rise. It would sink. He had watched its descent on the scanner many times. 
There was always the same hideous picture, a sight beyond endurance, of his soul, as it plummeted down like a stone into one of the lowest continua, a sinkhole of a manifestation at the very bottom of the ladder. He had sinned. In his youth, Sung Woo had got mixed up with a black-eyed wench with long flowing hair, a glittering waterfall down her back and shoulders, inviting red lips, plump breasts, hips that undulated and beckoned unmistakably. She was the wife of a friend from the warrior class, but he had taken her as his mistress. He had been certain time remained to rectify his banality. But he was wrong. The wheel was soon to turn for him. The plague, not enough time to fast and pray and do good works. He was determined to go down, straight down to a wallowing, foul-aired planet in a stinking red sun system, an ancient pit of filth and decay and unending slime a jungle world of the lowest type. In it, he would be a shiny winged fly, a great blue-bottomed buzzing carrion eater that hummed and guzzled and crawled through the rotting carcasses of great lizards slain in combat. From this swamp, this pest-ridden planet in a diseased, contaminated system, he would have to rise painfully up the endless rungs of the cosmic ladder he had already climbed. It had taken eons to climb this far, to the level of a human being on the planet Earth, in the bright yellow soul system. Now he would have to do it all over again. Chai beamed, Elron be with you, as the corroded observation ship was checked by the robot crew and finally okayed for limited flight. Sung Woo slowly entered the ship and seated himself at what remained of the controls. He waved listlessly, then slammed the lock and bolted it by hand. As the ship limped into the late afternoon sky, he reluctantly consulted the reports and records Chai had transferred to him. The Tinkerists were a small cult. They claimed only a few hundred members all drawn from the techno-class, which was the most despised of the social castes. The bards, of course, were at the top. They were the teachers of society, the holy men who guided man to clearness. Then the poets. They turned into saga the great legends of L. Ron Hu, who lived, according to legend, in the hideous days of the time of madness. Below the poets were the artists then the musicians, then the workers, who supervised the robot crews. After them, the businessmen, the warriors, the farmers, and finally, at the bottom, the technos. Most of the technos were Caucasians, immense white-skinned things, incredibly hairy like apes. Their resemblance to the great apes was striking. Perhaps Broken Feather was right. Perhaps they did have Neanderthal blood and were outside the possibility of clearness. Sung Woo had always considered himself an anti-racist. He disliked those who maintained the Caucasians were a race apart. Extremists believed eternal damage would result to the species if the Caucasians were allowed to intermarry. In any case, the problem was academic, 
no decent, self-respecting woman of the higher classes, of Indian or Mongolian or Bantu stock, would allow herself to be approached by a cock. Below his ship, the barren countryside spread out, ugly and bleak. Great red spots that hadn't yet been overgrown and slag surfaces were still visible. But by this time, most ruins were covered by soil and crabgrass. He could see men and robots fanning, villages, countless tiny brown circles in the green fields, occasional ruins of ancient cities, gaping sores like blind mouths, eternally open to the sky. They would never close, not now. Ahead was the Detroit area, named, so it ran, for some now-forgotten spiritual leader. There were more villages here. Off to his left, the leaden surface of a body of water, a lake of some kind. Beyond that, only Elrond knew. No one went that far. There was no human life there. Only wild animals and deformed things spawned from radiation infestation still lying heavy in the north. He dropped his ship down. An open field lay to his right. A robot farmer was plowing with a metal hook welded to its waist, a section torn off some discarded machine. It stopped dragging the hook and gazed up in amazement as Sung Woo landed the ship awkwardly and bumped to a halt. Clearness be with you, the robot rasped obediently as Sung Woo climbed out. Sung Woo gathered up his bundle of reports and papers and stuffed them in a briefcase. He snapped the ship's lock and hurried off toward the ruins of the city. The robot went back to dragging the rusty metal hook through the hard ground, its pitted body bent double with the strain, working slowly, silently, uncomplaining. The little boy piped, Whither, Bard? as Sung Woo pushed wearily through the tangled debris and slag. He was a little black-faced bantu in red rags sewed and patched together. He ran alongside Sung Woo like a puppy, leaping and bounding and grinning white teeth. Sung Woo became immediately crafty. His intrigue with the black-haired girl had taught him elemental dodges and evasions. My ship broke down, he answered cautiously. It was certainly common enough. It was the last ship still in operation at our field. The boy skipped and laughed and broke off bits of green weeds that grew along the trail. I know somebody who can fix it, he cried carelessly. Sung Woo's pulse rate changed. Oh, he murmured, as if uninterested. There are those around here who practice the questionable art of repairing. The boy nodded solemnly. Technos, Sung Wu pursued. Are there many of them here, around these old ruins? More black-faced boys and some little dark-eyed Bantu girls came scampering through the slag and ruins. What's the matter with your ship? One hollered at Sung Wu. Won't it run? They all ran and shouted around him as he advanced slowly. An unusually wild bunch, completely undisciplined. They rolled and fought and tumbled and chased each other around madly. How many of you, Sung Woo demanded, have taken your first instruction? There was a sudden uneasy silence. The children looked at each other guiltily. None of them answered. Good Elron, 
Sung Wu exclaimed in horror. Are you all untaught? Heads hung guiltily. How do you expect to phase yourselves with the cosmic will? How can you expect to know the divine plan? This is really too much. He pointed a plump finger at one of the boys. Are you constantly preparing yourself for the life to come? Are you constantly purging and purifying yourself? Do you deny yourself meat, sex, entertainment, financial gain, education, leisure? But it was obvious. Their unrestrained laughter and play proved they were still jangled, far from clear. And clearness is the only road by which a person can gain understanding of the eternal plan, the cosmic wheel which turns endlessly for all living things. Butterflies, Sung Wu snorted with disgust. You are no better than the beasts and birds of the field, who take no heed of the morrow. You play and game for today, thinking tomorrow won't come, like insects. But the thought of insects reminded him of the shiny-winged blue-rumped fly creeping over a rotting lizard carcass. And Sung Woo's stomach did a flip-flop. He forced it back in place and strode on toward the line of villages emerging ahead. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Farmers were working the barren fields on all sides. A thin layer of soil over slag. A few limp wheat stalks waved, thin and emaciated. The ground was terrible, the worst he had seen. He could feel the metal under his feet. It was almost to the surface. Bent men and women watered their sickly crops with tin cans, old metal containers picked from the ruins. An ox was pulling a crude cart. In another field, women were weeding by hand. All moved slowly, stupidly, victims of hookworm from the soil. They were all barefoot. The children hadn't picked it up yet, but they soon would. Sung Wu gazed up at the sky and gave thanks to Elrond. Here, suffering was unusually severe. Trials of exceptional vividness lay on every hand. These men and women were being tempered in a hot crucible. Their souls were probably purified to an astonishing degree. A baby lay in the shade beside a half-dozing mother. Flies crawled over its eyes. Its mother breathed heavily, hoarsely, her mouth open. An unhealthy flush discolored her brown cheeks. Her belly bulged. 
she was already pregnant again. Another eternal soul to be raised from a lower level. Her great breasts sagged and wobbled as she stirred in her sleep, spilling out over her dirty wraparound. Come here, Sung Woo called sharply to the gang of black-faced children who followed along after him. I'm going to talk to you. The children approached, eyes on the ground, and assembled in a silent circle around him. Sung Woo sat down, placed his briefcase beside him, and folded his legs expertly under him in the traditional posture outlined by Elron in his seventh book of teaching. I will ask and you will answer, Sung Woo stated. You know the basic catechisms? He peered sharply around. Who knows the basic catechisms? One or two hands went up. Most of the children looked away unhappily. First, snapped Sung Wu, who are you? You are a minute fragment of the cosmic plan. Second, what are you? A mere speck in a system so vast as to be beyond comprehension. Third, what is the way of life? To fulfill what is required by the cosmic forces. Fourth, where are you? On one step of the cosmic ladder. Fifth, where have you been? Through endless steps, each turn of the wheel advances or depresses you. Sixth, what determines your direction at the next turn? Your conduct in this manifestation. Seventh, what is right conduct? Submitting yourself to the eternal forces, the cosmic elements that make up the divine plan. Eighth, what is the significance of suffering? To purify the soul. Ninth, what is the significance of death? To release the person from this manifestation so he may rise to a new rung of the ladder. Tenth, but at that moment, Sung Wu broke off. Two quasi-human shapes were approaching him. Immense white-skinned figures striding across the baked fields between the sickly rows of wheat. Technos coming to meet him. His flesh crawled. Cocks. Their skins glittered pale and unhealthy, like nocturnal insects dug from under rocks. He rose to his feet, conquered his disgust, and prepared to greet them. Sung Wu said, Clearness. He could smell them, a musky sheep smell, as they came to a halt in front of him. Two bucks, two immense sweating males, skin damp and sticky, with beards and long disorderly hair. They wore sailcloth trousers and boots. With horror, Sung Wu perceived the thick body hair on their chests, like woven mats. Tufts in their armpits, on their arms, wrists, even the back of their hands. Maybe Broken Feather was right. Perhaps in these great lumbering blond-haired beasts, the archaic Neanderthal stock, the false men, still survived. He could almost see the ape peering from behind their blue eyes. Hi, the first cock said. After a moment, he added reflectively, My name's Jameson. Pete Ferris, the other grunted. Neither of them observed the customary deferences. Sung Woo winced, but managed not to show it. Was it deliberate, 
a veiled insult, or perhaps mere ignorance. This was hard to tell. In lower classes, there was, as Chai said, an ugly undercurrent of resentment and envy and hostility. I'm making a routine survey, Sung Woo explained, on birth and death rates in rural areas. I'll be here a few days. Is there some place I can stay? Some public inn or hostel? The two cock bucks were silent. Why? one of them demanded bluntly. Sung Woo blinked. Why? Why what? Why are you making a survey? If you want any information, we'll supply it. Sung Woo was incredulous. Do you know to whom you're talking? I'm a bard. Why, you're ten classes down. How dare you? He choked with rage. In these rural areas, the technos had utterly forgotten their place. What was ailing the local bards? Were they letting the system break apart? He shuddered violently at the thought of what it would mean if technos and farmers and businessmen were allowed to intermingle, even intermarry, and eat and drink in the same places. The whole structure of society would collapse. If all were to ride the same carts, use the same outhouses, it passed belief. A sudden nightmare picture loomed up before Sung Wu of technos living and mating with women of the bard and poet classes. He visioned a horizontally oriented society, all persons on the same level with horror. It went against the very grain of the cosmos, against the divine plan. It was the time of madness all over again. He shuddered. Where is the manager of this area? he demanded. Take me to him. I'll deal directly with him. The two cocks turned and headed back the way they had come, without a word. After a moment of fury, Sung Woo followed behind them. They led him through withered fields and over barren, eroded hills on which nothing grew. The ruins increased. At the edge of the city, a line of meager villages had been set up. He saw leaning, rickety wood huts and mud streets. From the villages, a thick stench rose, the smell of awful and death. Dogs lay sleeping under the huts. Children poked and played in the filth and rotting debris. A few old people sat on porches, vacant-faced, eyes glazed and dull. Chickens pecked around, and he saw pigs and skinny cats, and the eternal rusting piles of metal, sometimes thirty feet high. Great towers of red slag were heaped up everywhere. Beyond the villages were the ruins proper, endless miles of abandoned wreckage, skeletons of buildings, concrete walls, bathtubs and pipe, overturned wrecks that had been cars. All these were from the time of madness, the decade that had finally rung the curtain down on the sorriest interval in man's history. The five centuries of madness and jangledness were now known as the age of heresy, when man had gone against the divine plan and taken his destiny in his own hands. They came to a larger hut, a two-story wood structure. The cocks climbed a decaying flight of steps. Boards creaked and gave ominously under their heavy boots. Sung Woo followed them nervously. They came out on a porch, a kind of open balcony. 
On the balcony sat a man, an obese copper-skinned official in unbuttoned breeches, his shiny black hair pulled back and tied with a bone against his bulging red neck. His nose was large and prominent, his face flat and wide with many chins. He was drinking lime juice from a tin cup and gazing down at the mud street below. As the two cocks appeared, he rose slightly, a prodigious effort. This man, the cock named Jameson said, indicating Sung Woo, wants to see you. Sung Woo pushed angrily forward. I am a bard from the central chamber. Do you people recognize this? He tore open his robe and flashed the symbol of the holy arm. Gold worked to form a swath of flaming red. I insist you accord me proper treatment. I'm not here to be pushed around by any... He had said too much. Sung Woo forced his anger down and gripped his briefcase. The fat Indian was studying him calmly. The two cocks had wandered to the far end of the balcony and were squatting down in the shade. They lit crude cigarettes and turned their backs. Do you permit this? Sung Woo demanded, incredulous. This mingling. The Indian shrugged and sagged down even more in his chair. Clearness be with you, he murmured. Will you join me? His calm expression remained unchanged. He seemed not to have noticed. Some lime juice? Or perhaps coffee? Lime juice is good for these. He tapped his mouth. His soft gums were lined with cake sores. Nothing for me, Sung Woo muttered grumpily, as he took a seat opposite the Indian. I'm here on an official survey. The Indian nodded faintly. Oh? Birth and death rates, Sung Woo hesitated, then leaned toward the Indian. I insist you send those two cocks away. What I have to say to you is private. The Indian showed no change of expression. His broad face was utterly impassive. After a time, he turned slightly. Please go down to the street level, he ordered, as you will. The two cocks got to their feet grumbling and pushed past the table, scowling and darting resentful glances at Sung Woo. One of them hawked and elaborately spat over the railing, an obvious insult. Insolence, Sung Woo choked. How can you allow it? Did you see them? By Elron, it's beyond belief. The Indian shrugged indifferently and belched. All men are brothers on the wheel. Didn't Elron himself teach that when he was on the earth? Of course, but are not even these men our brothers? Naturally, Sung Woo answered haughtily. But they must know their place. They're an insignificant class. In the rare event some object wants fixing, they are called. But in the last year, I do not recall a single incident when it was deemed advisable to repair anything. The need of such a class diminishes yearly. Eventually, such a class and the elements composing it... You perhaps advocate sterilization? The Indian inquired, heavy-lidded and sly. I advocate something. The lower classes reproduce like rabbits, 
spawning all the time, much faster than we bards. I always see some swollen-up cockwoman, but hardly a single bard is born these days. The lower classes must fornicate constantly. That's about all that's left them, the Indian murmured mildly. He sipped a little lime juice. You should try to be more tolerant. Tolerant? I have nothing against them, as long as they... It is said, the Indian continued softly, that Elron Hu himself was a cock. Sung Wu spluttered indignantly and started to rejoin, but the hot words stuck fast in his mouth. Down the mud street, something was coming. Sung Wu demanded, What is it? He leaped up excitedly and hurried to the railing. A slow procession was advancing with solemn step. As if at a signal, men and women poured from their rickety huts and excitedly lined the street to watch. Sung Wu was transfixed as the procession neared. His senses reeled. More and more men and women were collecting each moment. There seemed to be hundreds of them. They were a dense, murmuring mob, packed tight, swaying back and forth, faces avid. An hysterical moan passed through them, a great wind that stirred them like leaves of a tree. They were a single collective whole, a vast, primitive organism, held ecstatic and hypnotized by the approaching column. The marchers wore a strange costume, white shirts with the sleeves rolled up, dark gray trousers of an incredibly archaic design, and black shoes. All were dressed exactly alike. They formed a dazzling double line of white shirts, gray trousers, marching calmly and solemnly, faces up, nostrils flared, jaws stern. A glazed fanaticism stamped each man and woman, such a ruthless expression that Sung Woo shrank back in terror. On and on they came, figures of grim stone in their primordial white shirts and gray trousers, a frightening breath from the past. Their heels struck the ground in a dull, harsh beat that reverberated among the rickety huts. The dogs woke. The children began to wail. The chickens flew squawking. Elron, Sung Woo cried. What's happening? The marchers carried strange symbolic implements, ritualistic images with esoteric meaning that of necessity escaped Sung Woo. There were tubes and poles and shiny webs of what looked like metal. Metal! But it was not rusty. It was shiny and bright. He was stunned. They looked new. The procession passed directly below. After the marchers came a huge rumbling cart. On it was mounted an obvious fertility symbol, a corkscrew bore as long as a tree. It jutted from a square cube of gleaming steel. As the cart moved forward, the bore lifted and fell. After the cart came more marchers, also grim-faced, eyes glassy, loaded down with pipes and tubes and armfuls of glittering equipment. They passed on. And then the street was filled by surging throngs of awed men and women who followed after them, utterly dazed. And then came children and barking dogs.
The last marcher carried a pennant that fluttered above her as she strode along, a tall pole hugged tight to her chest. At the top, the bright pennant fluttered boldly. Sung Woo made its marking out, and for a moment, consciousness left him. There it was, directly below. It had passed under his very nose, out in the open for all to see, unconcealed. The pennant had a great T emblazoned on it. They, he began, but the obese Indian cut him off. The tinkerists, he rumbled, and sipped his lime juice. Sung Woo grabbed up his briefcase and scrambled toward the stairs. At the bottom, the two hulking cocks were already moving into motion. The Indian signaled quickly to them. Here. They started grimly up, little blue eyes, mean, red-rimmed, and cold as stone. Under their pelts, their bulging muscles rippled. Sung Woo fumbled in his cloak. His shiver gun came out. He squeezed the release and directed it toward the two cocks. But nothing happened. The gun had stopped functioning. He shook it wildly. Flakes of rust and dried insulation fluttered from it. It was useless, worn out. He tossed it away and then, with the resolve of desperation, jumped through the railing. He and a torrent of rotten wood cascaded to the street. He hit, rolled, struck his head against the corner of a hut and shakily pulled himself to his feet. He ran. Behind him, the two cocks pushed after him through the throngs of men and women milling aimlessly along. Occasionally, he glimpsed their white, perspiring faces. He turned a corner, raced between shabby huts, leaped over a sewage ditch, climbed heaps of sagging debris, slipping and rolled, and at last lay gasping behind a tree, his briefcase still clutched. The cocks were nowhere in sight. He had evaded them. For the moment, he was safe. He peered around. Which way was his ship? He shielded his eyes against the late afternoon sun until he managed to make out its bent, tubular outline. It was far off to his right, barely visible in the dying glare that hung gloomily across the sky. Sung Woo got unsteadily to his feet and began walking cautiously in that direction. He was in a terrible spot. The whole region was pro-tinkerous, even the chamber-appointed manager. And it wasn't along class lines. The cult had knifed to the top level. And it wasn't just Cox anymore. He couldn't count on Bantu or Mongolian or Indian. Not in this area. An entire countryside was hostile and lying in wait for him. Hellron. It was worse than the arm had thought. No wonder they wanted a report. A whole area had swung over to a fanatic cult, a violent extremist group of heretics teaching a most diabolical doctrine. He shuddered and kept on, avoiding contact with the farmers in their fields, both human and robot. He increased his pace as alarm and horror pushed him suddenly faster. If the thing were to spread, if it were to hit a sizable portion of mankind, it might bring back the time of madness. The ship was taken. Three or four immense cocks stood lounging around it, cigarettes dangling from their slack mouths. 
white-faced and hairy. Stunned, Sung Wu moved back down the hillside, prickles of despair numbing him. The ship was lost. They had got there ahead of him. What was he supposed to do now? It was almost evening. He'd have to walk fifty miles through the darkness, over unfamiliar, hostile ground, to reach the next inhabited area. The sun was already beginning to set, the air turning cool, and in addition, he was sopping wet with filth and slimy water. He had slipped in the gloom and fallen in a sewage ditch. He retraced his steps, mind blank. What could he do? He was helpless. His shiver gun had been useless. He was alone, and there was no contact with the arm. Tinkerous swarming on all sides, they'd probably gut him and sprinkle his blood over the crops. Or worse, he skirted a farm. In the fading twilight, a dim figure was working, a young woman. He eyed her cautiously as he passed. She had her back to him. She was bending over between rows of corn. What was she doing? Was she good Elron? He stumbled blindly across the field toward her, caution forgotten. Young woman, stop. In the name of Elron, stop at once. The girl straightened up. Who are you? Breathless, Sung Wu arrived in front of her, gripping his battered briefcase and gasping. Those are our brothers. How can you destroy them? They may be close relatives recently deceased. He struck out and knocked the jar from her hand. It hit the ground, and the imprisoned beetles scurried off in all directions. The girl's cheeks flushed with anger. It took me an hour to collect those. You were killing them, crushing them. He was speechless with horror. I saw you. Of course. The girl raised her black eyebrows. They gnaw the corn. They're our brothers, Sung Wu repeated wildly. Of course they gnaw the corn. Because of certain sins committed, the cosmic forces have... He broke off, appalled. Don't you know? You've never been told? The girl was perhaps sixteen. In the fading light, she was a small, slender figure, the empty jar in one hand, a rock in the other. A tide of black hair tumbled down her neck. Her eyes were large and luminous, her lips full and deep red, her skin a smooth copper brown, Polynesian, probably. He caught a glimpse of firm brown breasts as she bent to grab a beetle that had landed on its back. The sight made his pulse race. In a flash, he was back three years. What's your name? He asked more kindly. Freha, how old are you? Seventeen. I am a bard. Have you ever spoken to a bard before? No, the girl murmured. I don't think so. She was almost invisible in the darkness. Sung Woo could scarcely see her. But what he saw sent his heart into an agony of paroxysms. The same cloud of black hair, the same deep red lips. This girl was younger, of course, a mere child, and from the farmer class at that. But she had Liu's figure, and in time she'd ripen, probably in a matter of months. 
ageless, honeyed craft worked his vocal cords. I have landed in this area to make a survey. Something has gone wrong with my ship, and I must remain the night. I know no one here, however. My plight is such that... Oh, Freya said, immediately sympathetic. Why don't you stay with us tonight? We have an extra room, now that my brother's away. Delighted, Sungwoo answered instantly. Will you lead the way? I'll gladly repay you for your kindness. The girl moved off toward a vague shape looming up in the darkness. Sung Woo hurried quickly after her. I find it incredible you haven't been instructed. This whole area has deteriorated beyond belief. What ways have you fallen in? We'll have to spend much time together. I can see that already. Not one of you even approaches clearness. You're jangled, every one of you. What does that mean? Freeha asked as she stepped up on the porch and opened the door. Jangled? Sung Woo blinked in amazement. We will have to study much together. In his eagerness, he tripped on the top step and barely managed to catch himself. Perhaps you need complete instruction. It may be necessary to start from the very bottom. I can arrange a stay at the Holy Arm for you, under my protection, of course. Jangled means out of harmony with the cosmic elements. How can you live this way? My dear, you'll have to be brought back in line with the divine plan. What plan is that? She led him into a warm living room. A crackling fire burned in the grate. Two or three men sat around a rough wood table, an old man with long white hair, and two younger men. A frail, withered old woman sat dozing in a rocker in the corner. In the kitchen, a buxom young woman was fixing the evening meal. Why, the plan, Sung Woo answered, astounded. His eyes darted around. Suddenly, his briefcase fell to the floor. Cox, he said. They were all Caucasians, even Freya. She was deeply tanned, her skin was almost black, but she was a cock nonetheless. He recalled, cocks in the sun, turned dark, sometimes even darker than Mongolians. The girl had tossed her work robe over a door hook. In her household shorts, her thighs were as white as milk, and the old man and woman, This is my grandfather, Freeha said indicating the old man, Benjamin Tinker. Under the watchful eyes of the two younger Tinkers, Sung Woo was washed and scrubbed, given clean clothes, and then fed. He ate only a little. He didn't feel very well. I can't understand it, he muttered, as he listlessly pushed his plate away. The scanner at the central chamber said I had eight months left. The plague will... He considered, but it can always change. The scanner goes on prediction, not certainty. Multiple possibilities. Free will. Any overt act of sufficient significance. Ben Tinker laughed. You want to stay alive? Of course, Sung Woo muttered indignantly. They all laughed, even Freeha and the old woman in her shawl, snow-white hair and mild blue eyes. They were the first cock women he had ever seen. They weren't big and lumbering like the male cocks. 
they didn't seem to have the same bestial characteristics. The two young cock bucks looked plenty tough, though. They and their father were poring over an elaborate series of papers and reports, spread out on the dinner table among the empty plates. This area, Ben Tinker murmured. Pipes should go here, and here. Water's the main need. Before the next crop goes in, we'll dump a few hundred pounds of artificial fertilizers and plow it in. The power plow should be ready then. After that, one of the tow-headed sons asked. Then spraying. If we don't have the nicotine sprays, we'll have to try the copper dusting again. I prefer the spray, but we're still behind on production. The boar has dug us up some good storage caverns, though. It ought to start picking up. And here, the son said, there's going to be need of draining. A lot of mosquito breeding going on. We can try the oil as we did over here, but I suggest the whole thing be filled in. We can use the dredge and scoop if they're not tied up. Sung Woo had taken this all in. Now he rose unsteadily to his feet, trembling with wrath. He pointed a shaking finger at the elder tinker. You're meddling, he gasped. They looked up. Meddling? With the plan! with the cosmic plan. Good Elrond, you're interfering with the divine processes. Why, he was staggered by a realization so alien it convulsed the very core of his being. You're actually going to set back turns of the wheel. That, said old Ben Tinker, is right. Sung Woo sat down again, stunned. His mind refused to take it all in. I don't understand. What'll happen if you slow the wheel, if you disrupt the divine plan? He's going to be a problem, Ben Tinker murmured thoughtfully. If we kill him, the arm will merely send another. They have hundreds like him. And if we don't kill him, if we send him back, he'll raise a hue and cry that'll bring the whole chamber down here. It's too soon for this to happen. We're gaining support fast, but we need another few months. Sweat stood out on Sung Woo's plump forehead. He wiped it away shakily. If you kill me, he muttered, you will sink down many rungs of the cosmic ladder. You have risen this far. Why undo the work accomplished in endless ages past? Ben Tinker fixed one powerful blue eye on him. My friend, he said slowly, isn't it true that one's next manifestation is determined by one's moral conduct in this? Sung Woo nodded. Such is well known. And what is right conduct? Fulfilling the divine plan, Sung Woo responded immediately. Maybe our whole movement is part of the plan, Ben Tinker said thoughtfully. Maybe the cosmic forces want us to drain the swamps and kill the grasshoppers and inoculate the children. After all, the cosmic forces put us all here. If you kill me, Sung Woo wailed, I'll be a carrion-eating fly. I saw it. A shiny-winged blue-rumped fly crawling over the carcass of a dead lizard in a rotting, steaming jungle in a filthy cesspool of a planet. 
Tears came. He dabbed at them futilely. In an out-of-the-way system at the bottom of the ladder, Tinker was amused. Why this? I've sinned, Sung Woo sniffed and flushed. I committed adultery. Can't you purge yourself? There's no time. His misery rose to wild despair. My mind is still impure, he indicated Freeha, standing in the bedroom doorway, a supple white and tan shape in her household shorts. I continue to think carnal thoughts. I can't rid myself. In eight months, the plague will turn the wheel on me, and it'll be done. If I live to be an old man, withered and toothless, no more appetite. His plump body quivered in a frenzied convulsion. There's no time to purge and atone. According to the scanner, I'm going to die a young man. After this torrent of words, Tinker was silent, deep in thought. The plague, he said at last. What exactly are the symptoms? Sung Woo described them, his olive face turning to a sickly green. When he had finished, the three men looked significantly at each other. Ben Tinker got to his feet. Come along, he commanded briskly, taking the bard by the arm. I have something to show you. It is left from the old days. Sooner or later we'll advance enough to turn out our own, but right now we have only these remaining few. We have to keep them guarded and sealed. This is for a good cause, one of the sons said. It's worth it. He caught his brother's eye and grinned. Bard Chai finished reading Sung Woo's blue slip report. He tossed it suspiciously down and eyed the younger Bard. You're sure? There's no further need of investigation? The cult will wither away, Sung Woo murmured indifferently. It lacks any real support. It's merely an escape valve without intrinsic validity. Chai wasn't convinced. He reread parts of the report again. I suppose you're right. But we've heard so many lies, Sung Woo said vaguely. Rumors, gossip. May I go? He moved toward the door. Eager for your vacation? Chai smiled understandingly. I know how you feel. This report must have exhausted you. Rural areas, stagnant backwaters. We must prepare a better program of rural education. I'm convinced whole regions are in a jangled state. We've got to bring clearness to these people. It's our historic role, our class function. Verily, Sung Woo murmured, as he bowed his way out of the office and down the hall. As he walked, he fingered his beads thankfully. He breathed a silent prayer as his fingers moved over the surface of the little red pellets, shiny spheres that glowed freshly in place of the faded old, the gift of the tinkerists. The beads would come in handy. He kept his hand on them tightly. Nothing must happen to them in the next eight months. He had to watch them carefully while he poked around the ruined cities of Spain and finally came down with the plague. He was the first bard to wear a rosary of penicillin capsules. Tomorrow on the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast, it was alien. 
But was it dead? This towering, sinister city of metal that glittered malignantly before the cautious advance of three awed space scouters. Dust Unto Dust by Lyman D. Hinckley. That's tomorrow on the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.